Words and Music is an intimate, groundbreaking Audible series that blends in-depth memoir with exclusive performances to reveal the storied lives and singular creative vision of music icons. Each thoughtfully crafted volume is as unique and varied as the artist delivering it. Words and Music brings together an extraordinary roster of once-in-a-generation artists, visionaries, trailblazers, and consummate storytellers, including Smokey Robinson, Alanis Morissette, Billy Joe Armstrong, Sting, St. Vincent, and Beck, among many others. Hear them and other groundbreaking artists share their stories and songs, unscripted and unfiltered. Listen to Words and Music, an Audible original series. Go to audible.com backslash words and music to start listening. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, host of Rolling Stone Music Now. Today, we're about to bring you an episode of our sister podcast, Rolling Stone's Musicians on Musicians, featuring Kathleen Hanna and Sid. What's your sign? Scorpio. Okay, I'm a Taurus. I was going to say no! (laughs) Well, we'll never be in a band together then. (laughs) That's okay. We had a rule in Bikini Kill, the punk band I was in, or Emin, because we're playing again. Oh, yeah. Got back together. Um, No Taurus roadies. Seriously? Why is that? Well, it was just bad things happened. Oh no. <laughs> I know, but it's like it's but I'm totally like so into Tauruses, but to my own. So it's good we're only in here for an hour. Yeah. If it was like a whole day, it would like be something like running into we'd the like crisis bond oh, and then like oh, and then you'd yeah. be like I you know uh, you're just like my mom. And yeah. then I'd be like, you're just like. Well, you know what? It's funny you say that because my mom is a Scorpio. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but we are very close. For more than 50 years, the writers at Rolling Stone have been sitting down with artists to go inside their sound, their creative process, and the quirks and perks of being a musician. But what happens when we take the writer away and ask two groundbreaking female artists from two different genres to interview each other? Specifically, what might we hear when an iconic punk noisemaker sits down with an introspective singer-songwriter to talk about learning to sing, star signs, and what it means to be a rebel? Hi, I'm Kathleen Hanna. I am Sid. And this is Rolling Stones Musicians on Musicians. Kathleen Hanna is a pioneer of the feminist punk movement, and she's as active as ever, performing sold-out shows across the country with her bands Bikini Kill and La Tigra. At a Hollywood studio this fall, punk rock's original Rebel Girl met with Sid, who's mixed up R&B, hip-hop, jazz, funk, and more, while charting an unconventional path with her band, The Internet, and as a solo act. The conversation revealed two women with a unique ability to connect deeply to their audience through their music, and to each other through their individual forms of female empowerment. Well, I heard this one song that I really liked. I think it was Girl Mm. by the internet, and Mm -hmm, I was like, mm -hmm. who is this? And then became more aware of, like, your stuff and was just like, oh, I love her voice so much. I love her voice. (laughs) Thank you. I started, like, looking on the internet and being like, oh, you know, she's do this, she's do that. I want to hear... About singing, because I was like, how do you maintain your voice on tour? I do, like, a whole hour, 15 minutes of, like, voice warm-ups. I only do, like, 20 minutes. Most most singers do, like, 20 minutes. And, and I, I started singing late in my life. Um, so I think 
I just, it takes me a little longer to get that muscle memory. And every coach I've ever worked with would probably say, you're crazy. Why Why would you do that? But yeah, but if it works. It works, yeah. Yeah. And and this last tour I uh, was the first tour that I ever did such a long warm-up, and my voice carried throughout, worked out. But I also realized for me, the worst thing I can do is overthink it. I used to, I used to come in, you know, ready for shows, and and as a beginning singer in my career, early in my career, I had so much anxiety about singing, so I overthought the hell out of it, and I took all the advice at once, <laughs> and you know, listen to people who meant well and who knew a lot of what they were talking about but didn't know me and didn't know my voice. And um, I learned a lot. When I started singing, I just, I didn't take myself very seriously. And I just sang, like, really loud, really fierce, like, the whole time. Mm. No breaths. I didn't write songs that had breath space in them. Uh, yeah. Which you actually do also um, on the new record a lot. Yeah. I was like... I was like, you might not be singing, like, belting, but there's not a lot of breaks. Yeah. There's not a lot of vocal breaks yeah. for you. on When you're actually playing, do you make the instrumental parts longer? Um, No. I actually kind of, I usually, like, put in some, some of the vocals in the backing track so I don't have to, like, <laughs> kill myself yeah, trying, no, to, trying to breathe. That's good. I, just, I don't, in one of my bands, it's all live, so, like, it's just... Right. Me and I like was singing for years and never had a lesson, and I lost my voice. I had a polyp that had on my vocal cords, uh, which had been going because I'd been in a punk band right. for seven years. We usually didn't have monitors, like uh, you so use in ears. Anything we didn't have in ears back then. Yeah, but I feel like I'm totally like I'm Dr. Quinn Medicine no. Woman. <laughs> I'm coming at you from the. My cabin in the woods. No, but uh, I still don't use in-ears because they, they freak me out. But I'm going to try and get into them before I start touring again I mean, to save my voice. Because do they, do they help your voice? Like, do they help save it? Um, I, I think it, it, it depends. So, so the reason I have to use them is because my voice is so small and quiet. Um, and a lot of what I'm singing, I'm singing in just my mix or my head register. I don't belt, like, yeah. hardly ever. I watched a bunch of live videos, and I was like... How's she doing this live? Because uh, I know you're a quiet singer, and it's like yeah. you get a lot of nuance in your voice because of that. And yeah. if you were doing like more belting, or you're doing a lot of head voice, not chest voice, or I guess some chest voice, but it's a it's a, a lot little. of like in in your face in the back yeah. of your head. Yeah. And I'm like listening to it, and I'm like, how is she going to do this without <laughs> them having to turn up the monitor so loud mm-hmm. that they're going to get feedback, feedback from the instruments? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had nights where I'm like, I need I need reverb in my monitor, and I need it to be loud mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I don't push myself too hard. Yeah. But that's why I got polyps, is because we would play, like, punk clubs and, like, basements. Well, did, like, it, did it change anything after that? Like, did it change the way you took care of your voice or the way you, like, wrote even music in the future? That's, like, yeah, that's a great question. It's weird. I haven't really thought about it. I mean, it... I changed from so I was in this punk band, Bikini Kill, and then yeah. I changed to this more like electronic band where we could have backing tracks if we needed them, um, and we do on some of our songs. And I changed the way I sung before I even got the polyps because I was realizing that it was like not fun to be on tour, not knowing if you were going to wake up with laryngitis the next uh, day. Yeah. 
And like when you're playing places are like, you know, we played the basement of a Kinko's like coffee shop. You know what I mean? And like <laughs> yeah. eventually we got bigger and we played places that had like legitimate green rooms sound stuff. And but we stuff, we never yeah. had our own sound person. We didn't have mm-hmm. a manager. So I didn't really know about that stuff until I moved to New York. And I was like, wait, there's a thing called a publicist. There's a monitor <laughs> yeah. person. There's a front of house person. Like, right. And I started being like, I want those things because I realized I've been going through my life like a writer without a pen or a computer mm-hmm. or a typewriter. I was like, these are the tools I need to to make my work. And yeah. I shouldn't keep selling myself short and just being like, well, I'll just show up with a monitor in case they don't care. Right. You know, right. and like working with these sound men who are like, you know, if I don't like what you're saying, I can shock you. I'll turn the polarity. <laughs> like, right. you know what I mean? I'm like, uh, I'm like, oh, good. Someone who hates me has my <laughs> voice in their hands. Right. Do you think that that made you a better performer? Like, the the disadvantages? Because I always, I don't know. I, I kind of look back. Like, I watch a lot of um, performances on YouTube, especially from back in the day before there were in-ear monitors. And I'm always, like, almost envious of, like, the experience that you had to have to be able to, like, project enough, right? you know, to, like, get in. And I always felt like people who came up in that always, you know, they had the disadvantage that created the advantage. No, well, a- absolutely. Think? Yeah. I, I, I think absolutely. Part of my thing was that I was singing punk music so I was like you know really projecting I kind of projected from musical theater from that experience from when I was really young of like having this amazing experience on stage like that was the experience where I was like I want to do this for the rest of my life Mm. and then when I started doing punk music it was like I was already projecting in this musical theater way Mm -hmm. and so I don't know if you are familiar with x-ray specs polystyrene it's a punk band from England and she really projected so Mm. a lot of people were like Oh, you sound just like her. And I was like, who's that? And then I just, like got into her. Yeah. But um, yeah, I I did a lot of damage and didn't know I was doing it. Uh, and then when I started Lady Tigra, I was like, I'm gonna write some more soft songs. Okay. And also my bandmates both sing. And so Sweet. I have spaces. Um, I have breaks during the set so that I can kind of like have a third drop and like rest. I was gonna ask because you you said that, you know you've known that you wanted to be a performer since you were real young. I didn't, you know, really, I didn't want to be an artist until I got signed. Whoa! Uh, (laughs) So I, 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 like, for someone who's been a performer for pretty much your whole life, how do you keep going, like, when, you know, when it, I don't know about you, Bam, but my, my performance anxiety used to cause me so much stress. I think like lately when I've been having sort of the twisties, you know, like when I get on stage and I'm like, this is not going good. Mm-hmm. Um, I have learned to do anything to either dance or do something with my hands yeah. where like if I keep time, if I, anything, I stop thinking because mm-hmm. I'm too busy keeping time to be sorry if that was ruining the podcast. <laughs> um, but if I'm doing anything, like if I'm dancing, if I'm, you know, hitting my body in some weird way or whatever (laughs) um I stopped thinking and Mm -hmm. then I just started enjoying it and so I learned that on on these tours and and my technique's been really solid so I felt really way more confident Mm -hmm. I think for me because I'm older part of the thing is that you can get your confidence as a singer and then you can lose it oh yeah because I've lost it 
as many times as I found it. And so I didn't perform for a while mm. and then came back and I had to relearn where to sing every single song because mm. I'm us- utilizing a lot of parts of my body. And so I'm like, okay, if I actually make this smile face right there, that's going to make this note right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or like, yeah. or like oh, I got to sing that from right above my eyebrows. Or, right. Or I got to tilt my chin up a little yeah, extra. Yeah. yeah. And some of it's really personal. Some of it goes yeah. totally against all the stuff anybody yes. ever told you to do. Like, you're not supposed to, like, right. make that shape where you, like, kind of sink in or, like, it's sort right. of like a fashion model yes. like, slouch. <laughs> but when I do that and I dance from that, I can hit weird notes that I can't hit when I don't do it. But you're not you're you're I'm not shutting, supposed to. Yeah. You're not supposed to. But for me, that works. Like yeah. what weird stuff works for you? Man, well, like I was saying earlier, um, warming up for like an hour and fifteen minutes works for me. Um, and I think it's also because like a lot of my uh, songs require um, a certain level of agility. And so I have to do my main warm-up, and then I do, like, some agility exercises as well. When you say agility, do you mean, like, note-to-note, or do you mean stamina? You're talking, like, note-to-note. Yeah. Um, Almost, like, like, part of my warm-up is, like, runs. Like, I sing, like, runs for the last 15 minutes of my warm-up. Just Just random pop runs. You said that your, like, your performance anxiety and stuff is really mental Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit more about that well so I think I think it has a lot to do with the genre that I'm in you know um in R&B music we focus so much on vocals vocal quality like vocal ability um I grew up in a household that listened to a lot of um like soul music a lot of really great singers and my mom was, you know, an avid watcher of, like, American Idol. And she loved to, like, be her own judge. You know what I mean? And right. so I grew up with, you know, a lot of music around me, but also that kind of, you know, pressure in my head of, like, if I'm going to be a singer, I have to be a good singer because I can't embarrass my mom out here. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I think a lot of it came from that. I mean, I was especially being... um in um in a genre surrounded by so many great singers i I felt the pressure to catch up to their ability see i was lucky because i was in the punk scene and it was like if you could even carry a tune it was like whoa what (laughs) (laughs) she can sing yeah i mean although a lot of the stuff that always gets written about me is like oh she's such a good screamer she's such a good screamer and i'm like Y'all don't hear these notes? (laughs) Because it's like we work so hard behind the scenes to do this stuff. And then people just like kind of flatten it out to like, you know, oh, her voice is very vulnerable and quiet. And it's like, Mm. yeah, but can you hear all the things that she's doing with it? Like that's one of the things about um, your record that I love so much listening to it. First of all, you've cured me of road rage. Really? (laughs) It's so mellow and so like... Even though there's some, like, tragedy in there, yeah. it's, like, I feel really in touch with, like, the first person I fell in love with. Mm. I feel really, like, through your record, like, I was like, oh, remember that feeling? Because oh, I've been yeah. with, I mean, love my person, but yeah. we've been together for 26 years. Yeah. So just, like, remembering, like, the butterfly in the stomach part and mm-hmm. the, that part and that part. But also it's just, like, the music's so good. Your voice is, like, 
really present and upfront. And it's not thin. It's full. It's really full. Thank you. It's just quiet. Yeah. Do you feel that you've received the respect you feel like you deserve as a singer, not just like an artist and a figure, but as a singer? No, absolutely not. I mean, there was a moment on this last tour where I was just like, I I wasn't like, I'm going to give up. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was just like, I put so much work into this Mm. and I feel like nobody gives a shit. You know what I mean? It's like, and and I know it's like, I can have all the gratitude in the world, but there can just be a moment where I'm like, I just want somebody to not write about the activism. Yeah. Like, she's not really a singer or musician. I mean, I've been doing this for 33 years. Yeah, At this what point, do you mean? Like, when I started, I was really into, like, I worked at a domestic violence shelter and a rape crisis hotline kind of place. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, doing stuff with teenagers, like, running a support group, like, a sexual assault support group and, like, doing that kind of stuff. And a big reason I started being in bands was because I wanted to advertise it. And right. I wanted to be the cool girl in the band saying, hey, come to my sexual assault support group instead of, like, the weird-ass adult, right. like, handing you a flyer. Like, yeah. hey, kind of. And so it was kind of like, I guess Killing Two Birds with One Stone was that, like, I actually also really wanted to be in a band. And mm-hmm. so merging those two things gave me this kind of longevity that I don't think I would have had if I would have started out um, without kind of this mission statement that I had. For sure. But um, And I don't know if you want to go there or this is too heavy. Just give me this. And we'll move on. <laughs> I'm, I'm down for whatever. No, just like I think one of the saddest, some of the saddest times in my life was feeling torn down by my own community when I was mm. trying to build community and be mm. welcoming and like make something really positive. And it was like, you're the wrong kind of feminist. Mm. And I just, I think that's something that we have in common is feeling like rejected from people who we were really looking to to love and be loved by. Yeah, or yeah, or be um, embraced by. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I for me, like, I I can totally understand why um, I I was somewhat rejected by the community in the beginning. I I was. I was kind of new to everything and I was just doing things without thinking about how people would look at them because I was a loner in high school. Nobody was ever looking at me for anything. So I was not used to that kind of attention and responsibility. Um, And I think the problem with criticism in general is that it forces the person being criticized like naturally to get defensive and to want to rebel or to explain themselves instead of, you know, grow. And so that's kind of what happened with me. I was criticized um, and I felt misunderstood (laughs) instead of feeling like genuinely like, oh, dang, I made a mistake. My bad, (laughs) y'all. I was just like, well fuck y'all like you know like and I think that's kind of it worked I think at the time in my favor because the brand that I was a part of was so rebellious and same with you um you know like a big I think a big aspect of your brand is rebellion 
So I feel like it kind of can work, <laughs> you know? I only learned about brands like a few years ago. So yeah, me, I was like, oh, no, I'm a brand now. What do I do? <laughs> I just tried to be a 360-degree brand that yeah. won't shut up, you know? <laughs> but well, I think that's another thing we have in common is yeah. the, the rebel aspect of and and I, and it's funny because we can be rebellious without even trying. It's just being ourselves is a, an act of rebellion. Well, I definitely think, you know, a lot of people come to me and they're like, oh, you won't like what I do because it's not political. And I'm like, everything's political. Right. Like, everything's yeah. political. And Whether like, you want it to be or not. Yeah. yeah. And it's like writing really beautiful music that touches somebody and makes them feel like, oh, the world isn't always a dangerous place mm. like you do, you know, Thanks. can really, you know, make a certain woman driving around in her dirty Prius <laughs> feel, feel like there is beauty and, and there is openness and people can change and also just love. Mm -hmm. Like you're such a romantic, <laughs> such a romantic. And I'm a Scorpio, so I totally am a sucker for that. Yeah, okay. I feel like... I've always consciously tried to, you know, obviously I'm gay, obviously I make music, you know, not so obviously I'm not going to write songs from a heterosexual perspective for myself, you know, but like when I was a kid, that was, I knew a lot of gay women who put out songs as straight women, you know, because they felt they had to or they wanted their friends to be able to listen to it. And so I feel like, for me, my biggest act of rebellion, I think, is just singing love songs to the same sex and not making it weird and not <laughs> making it a big deal, like trying to normalize it. And I feel like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like a lot of what you've been able to accomplish over the years is just normalizing women saying what they want to say. <laughs> yeah. Just period. Like, I have things to say. Here. No, exactly. Listen for a change. Exactly. But I was wondering if if also, like, how you feel about being watched, like, when you're on stage. How do you feel about being looked at? <clears throat> I, surprisingly, I embrace it. And it's interesting because um, I grew up in a neighborhood where I knew all my neighbors, all the kids and stuff. And, and once I got home, like... That was my village, my tribe. But at school, I was always a loner. I don't think people really expected me to be the kind of person who ended up on stage in front of a bunch of people. Um, and I don't know if I'd say it came naturally. I definitely studied a lot. Um, but one thing that I learned early on, and I think this probably when I was DJing, was um, the crowd's usually a lot more afraid of you than you are of them. <laughs> And once I embraced that fact, I feel like, you know, I was able to at least mask my my um, fears and my anxieties. And also one, one thing about me, too, is a lot of my anxiety before I get on stage leaves once I start. Uh, same for you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll have the thing where, you know, it's almost like a voice from somewhere else being like, it's like the, the asshole voice. It's like, it's like, ooh, you're really blowing this one. You know what I mean? And it's, like, and it's like, and then I have to kind of talk back to it and and be like, 
I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to dance when I get, you know, back up to the mic. Yeah. And here's what I'm going to do. Oh, my god. It, but it'll happen, like, once a set, and then it's gone. And okay. I have the same thing where I'm, like, extremely nervous. I mean, a lot of times in my real life, I feel like I'm just waiting for the next show. Like, I feel like I'm backstage right now, even though mm. I'm not going on tour again until January or February. Yeah. But it's, like, all this time is, like, it's... I don't do my vocal warm up and stuff like that, but it's still mm-hmm. prep work for what's gonna oh, yeah. what's gonna happen. And for I sure. think that I've come to understand that part of my stage rate stuff is um, that I really give a shit. I really care. Yeah, I really really care. And I feel like if people are gonna come, like get in their cars, get on the subway, come all the way to your show. Yeah, like. I don't want to just stand there and act like I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, it means a lot to me that people would even bother. You know, like, there's tons of artists who, you know, and I've been one of those artists who 40 people come. Same. Or who the janitor is sweeping up as I'm playing and then looks up and goes, you suck as a singer. (laughs) I've played for 12 people (laughs) as well, for sure. But it does go away. When you're on stage. And yeah. I was really shy as a kid. And I think my mom's still, like, she'll come to a show and be like, what? You know, I can't believe you you do that. It's so, you know, weird. It's <laughs> so, so unlike you, right? Well, and <laughs> I, I don't come from a musical family at all. Like, my mom's no? a psych. She was a psychiatric nurse for her whole career. Ah. And um, my dad was a pipe fitter welder. And, mm-hmm. you know, we listened to whatever records mm-hmm. they had. Yeah, my mom... Um, the, s- Big music lover, I, and 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 I think she wanted to be an engineer when she was young. When she was like, like my, a sound engineer. Yeah, and she always told me the story. Um, another engineer that she knew, who was like a friend, told her, you know, no, nah, this is kind of a man's industry. Don't, don't do it. And and I think. I think she wasn't upset by it. She took it more so as it's not safe for me in this industry yet. And I think that's what he meant by it as well. Um, because he was he was a he was a great man, and, you know, mentored plenty of great musicians, women, men, all kinds of people. Me as well. He ended up mentoring me later on. Um, but he's the same person who told my mom like, ah, this isn't safe. The studio is not safe for women right now um this was back in the 70s so my mom doesn't play any instruments doesn't sing but she loves that i do music she loves coming in the studio and just yeah that's really cool (laughs) i'm i'm lucky honestly i think i'm super lucky yeah you know because my my dad's brother is a producer he's been successful doing that and so i grew up knowing that I could be a musician and make a living. It was never a doubt in my household, which was great. I saw you were writing about, oh, maybe we'll do an internet record label. Yeah. I love when it's like you're free in that way mentally where you're like, I can take my career where I want to take it. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, do something. I can do a mixtape and then I can do this and then I can do that. And I can, you know, work with Beyonce and I can, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like do whatever I want. Like it doesn't have to be. Oh, one thing. And yeah, I think it's a privilege, you know, a privilege like that, that that's afforded to us by time and, and tolerance. Yeah. I mean, the landscape is still very much specific. If, if, if 
if we look at it, but it's so, so much broader than it used to be. So many people can find success without pigeonholing themselves anymore. I mean, when I first came up in the industry, um, if you were a lesbian artist, you were a lesbian artist. Yeah. And that was, you were over there. Um, and so I was always very nervous, you know, to, to, to do that. Not to, I was already out and proud and all that, but I just was nervous to kind of like really push that forward. I wanted to be taken seriously as an artist first. And um, I think that's a luxury that was afforded to me by, you know, the people that came before me, like people like you. A lot of artists, a lot of women, especially in the black community, who came up and just provided representation for, you know, uh, this is this is another version of what an R&B artist looks like. Yeah. I'm it's, grateful for the trailblaze. No, it's great, but there's this, like, visibility, invisibility thing yeah. that I always find when you're from any kind of marginalized group. And especially if you've got, like, the isms just, like, lapped upon you. <laughs> yeah. You know, like... Where it's like there's part of me that's like, oh, I, you know, I want to be visible. But then there's part of me that wants to be invisible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then there's part of me that like the more visible I get, I feel invisible. Does that make sense? Like uh, it's, it's almost elaborate like. Elaborate on that. Yeah. Like I got known as like this like feminist man hating bitch. Right. And that's obviously not what my yeah. feminism is about at all. Yeah. But that was just a stereotype. And yeah. so it was like. I started to feel the more visibility I got, like sort of in like the mainstream world, the smaller I got in my community. Like I started feeling Mm. pulled away from my community and it was really painful. Mm. Um, And I also started to feel pigeonholed where it's like there's that bitch from Bikini Kill. So it was like Mm. I was supposed to write feminist anthems and that that was my lane that I was supposed to stay in. And I wanted to write love songs. Right. Oh, wow. And I wanted, you know, I wanted to write a lot of different kinds of music. And it was like, I love, like, girl groups from the 60s. And, mm-hmm. you know, I love a lot of different kinds of music. And I felt like I wasn't allowed to do it. So I kind of broke off and did a solo record that was really liberating for me and and was like, I'm just going to write about whatever I want. And Mm -hmm. I did electronic stuff so that I didn't have to wait for my band to write songs. So I learned how to program drums and and started engineering, which to me was my huge breakthrough, Ah. was getting into engineering and producing myself because I got so much more confidence as a singer listening to myself Mm -hmm. in headphones and being able to try all these different things because I was known as a belter, and that's how I learned how to sing quiet. Ah, because I didn't know how recording. to sing quiet was through recording because I could just turn it, you know, the gain up yeah. really loud and I could like really hear it. And I started using a lot of effects, which I had this whole like feminist idea that it was like, I want you to hear a real woman's voice. I'm not going to put pantyhose on my voice. Ah. You know what I mean? I'm not going to airbrush my voice with this reverb, yeah. reverb stuff. Like I was like, um, I'm going to cool. just like have it be like raw and in your face and sound like a real, you know, nasally, you know, annoying woman who's pissed off and, like, other people can hopefully hear themselves mm-hmm. in, in what I'm doing or just hear that it's, like, a real person. It's not, like, 20 stacked. I love stacking my vocals. Yeah. But back then, it was sort of, that was my idea. And then I felt like I couldn't get out of it. But um, I guess what that brings me to is is the engineering side of you that we haven't really talked about in the producing side of you. I know everybody defines a producer differently. How do you define when you're producing something? Is it project to project? Is there kind of a 
blanket way that you're like, this is my skill set. This is what I do. Mm, it's it's more uh, it's more process driven than product driven for me at this point. It used to be the opposite. I used to want to be a producer because I wanted to make stuff that I felt proud to say I made. You know, and it's because it, you know I would hear stuff on the radio and be like, oh my gosh, I love this. I wish I could say I made this. You know, um, and eventually I got a laptop for school, for high school, that had GarageBand, and I started experimenting. And it just kind of spiraled from there. That's the one craft, I think, that I could say I was obsessed with, you know? I'd say I'm better at engineering than I am at singing, making beats, performing, any of that other stuff. <laughs> like, that's my, that's actually my strong suit. And a lot of people don't know that, um, that I started as an engineer i'm um, kind of surprised at how how many people i tell that to and they're like wow i didn't know that and i'm like you know it's it's when it's your life i'm sure you because you've been through multiple acts been you've been different bands yeah. different you know so i'm sure you can feel what it's like when you meet somebody who's like so into what you're doing now they have no idea about the past and it can be I don't know sometimes it's refreshing for me what about you oh yeah (laughs) I'd been in Bikini Kill for seven years and then I did a solo record and then I started this band Le Tigre Mm -hmm. but everybody was always like we like Bikini Kill better like (laughs) like we liked it we liked it better when you were angry. Oh we liked it better when you did this. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? And I was mm-hmm. like, well, I won't stop a singing voice if I keep singing like that forever. And, right. Um, and so, like, whatever. And then we had this song that was, like, a total throwaway song that I was just, like, wrote it in, like, five minutes. And um, it's called Decepticon. It was on our first record. Yeah, I know that song. You know that song? Yeah. And, um, I, I mean, I wasn't aware that younger people knew who it was, what it was or anything. I wasn't aware that people were listening to it. And... Uh, I go to this rock camp and I show all the stuff. And then at the end, I showed like a little performance of my band on some TV show in England or whatever. Because it was really cute. We had costumes on and we were like doing dance. And like, I was like, the idea is like kind of like a slumber party and to break down the like barrier between us and the audience that it can be fun. And we're not just like staring at the floor and being bummed. We're like super excited to be there and you can do it too. Like whatever. And they were like, wait. That's you? <laughs> you're like, you're the Decepticon girl? Right. And then they all start crowding around me. And oh, I was like, my god! I, like, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was so psyched because I was like, they weren't like, sing Rebel Girl for me. Right. Look angry. Like, yell I hate men into my tape recorder. Oh, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Can you call my cousin and say I hate men? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was like, thank you so much for, like, not even knowing. Clean like, slate. I was like, I'm the Decepticon girl now. That's awesome. right. right. I get that. I mean, when I, when um, when we first started the internet, and we put out, you know, our first co- album, our audience was Odd Future fans, and they were like, "What the fuck is this shit? <laughs> Nobody's rapping." <laughs> they were. They like, were when so is she confused. gonna rap? Yeah, they were so confused, and so Sorry. I I totally understand how refreshing it is to. To to have somebody who's like, bro. I just came out. I came out from your voice. I was like, this voice. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it's just 
Your voice is gorgeous. It's Thank absolutely you. gorgeous. And it's like, it's a thrill to listen to what you can do with it. And I think the quietness is to me the thing that's really hard. I, I think that the, I would find it impossible to sing like that. <laughs> For me coming up, I always just looked at the weakness of it, the weakness of my chest voice and, and not so much the strength of my head voice. Yeah. And so what I've learned is, um, yeah, sometimes when you have a softer voice or you want to say something quietly, the beauty is people have to shut up to listen. Um, you have to kind of bring them in. So it, it taught me a little bit. On this last tour, I experimented a little bit with some acoustic songs, performing some songs, just real soft, real quiet acoustically. And when I tell you, like, it gets so quiet in there, you can hear a pin drop in there. And it's um, there's something really special about it. Yeah. Where do you pull your power from? I totally wanted to lie and say it was like, oh, I've always wanted to be seen. <laughs> but, like, I don't really want to be seen. Like, I really want to sing. Mm. And I really love when I do certain things with my voice that feels like I'm, like, an acrobat, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and that feels powerful to me. Like, just, I don't think it's always the words you're singing it's it's the quality of your voice and what you're doing with it that has is saying a whole other bunch of things mm. you know um it's not just the words so maybe you know i might be singing words that are incredibly kind of didactic and political in a song but the way that i'm singing them is telling a story about joy and anger kind of fucking each other <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean like yeah. like and and when that starts happening in my head and when I'm it's not really about hitting the notes correctly. Mm-hmm. It's about like finding this kind of pit in my stomach that I rarely access mm-hmm. and then I'm doing it and I just forget all these people are even watching me. Mm. You know? I feel like that's it's it's not about being seen or or people getting it or anything. It's like it's about the feeling of standing there and then like making something out of nothing that mm-hmm. is now floating through the air. Right. What about Frequencies. you? Well, okay, so so your your power comes from your voice then probably, yeah. Um I, I don't know. Mine, I think I I pull my power from from my more my mind, I think. I've always believed that I was capable of anything I wanted to do. And um, and of course, I have I have a lot of doubts. I'm really insecure and self-conscious and in my own ways, for sure. But since I was a kid, I've always felt this sense that, like, I can accomplish anything I decide I'm going to accomplish. I think that's what's gotten me this far in music um, was just that knowing the sense of knowing and um that and I have some really good friends and (laughs) talented talented people around me and smarter people around me and that always helps as well um well how do you take it like with the like reviews or internet stuff or whatever I don't really want to get into that whole can of worms because it's just depressing but like (laughs) but like I always had this kind of old school idea of like if you listen to the good reviews you have to listen to the bad or if you listen Mm. to the bad you have to listen to the good so I just don't 
listen to any of it. Yeah. Like, you can't avoid it. Occasionally right. you're like, you know, you're someone you work with is like, we need a picture from that show to use for this, you know, ad for something and mm-hmm. or to advertise your tour. And so you have to go on the internet and look for pictures of yourself. Yeah. And then you're <laughs> like, oh, no. Right. Yeah. The, yeah. the review with like, because any, yeah. the worst stuff that you think about yourself and all of your fears, someone has said it. Like, yeah. Someone on the internet has said it. And yeah. it's like, it's, but. And the opposite is also true. Yes. <laughs> and the opposite is also true. Like the best thing you could possibly think of to say has probably been said about you online somewhere. I'm going to remember that because yeah. I've never thought of that there before. There you go. So you just, I mean, you just saved me a couple sessions. Good. I hope, I hope so. <laughs> well, that was super fun. It was really fun. I do feel like we could just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, talk, talk. I know. I know. So I'm like, Cause I, we'll definitely I just, have to do this again. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, on come musicians. on. <laughs> Sounds sexual. I know. I'm totally <laughs> Actually... Our opportunity to nerd out as yeah. singers and creators. No, I think it's really cool though. Like, inter- being interviewed by someone who can relate to, to stuff. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I thought too when I read it. You'll find a version of this conversation in the November issue of Rolling Stone on newsstands right now. Musicians on Musicians is adapted from Rolling Stone's popular magazine franchise, produced by OBB Sound, and sponsored by Audible. This episode featured Kathleen Hanna of Bikini Kill and La Tigra, and Sid of Odd Future and the Internet. Executive produced by Michael D. Ratner and Scott Ratner of OBB Sound, a division of OBB Media, and by Jason Fine, Bridget Chelsea, Christian Horde, Noah Schachtman, and Gus Wenner of Rolling Stone. Co-executive produced by Dylan Martyr of OBB Sound. Produced by Miranda Sherman and Toby Lawless of OBB Sound. Associate produced by Eve Bishop of OBB Sound. Voiceover by Eve Bishop of OBB Sound. Engineering by Frederick Burness, Daniel Chavez-Crook, Phineas O'Connell, Josh Falcon, Pharaoh Lopez, Dylan Neustadter, Miguel Romero, and David Lyon-Thompson. Edited, mixed, and mastered by Daniel Chavez-Crook of OBB Sound. Original music by James Asciutto for OBB Sound. Artwork by Joni Dobrov of OBB Media. Social media managed by Marissa Delgado of OBB Media.